welcome to the Vocal Freedom Podcast. I'm your host, Lee Martin Thomas. Join me and my guest speakers as they discuss the journey they've had with their own voice, as well as light bulb moments, stories, and personal wisdoms. Vocal Freedom is a bi-weekly podcast raising awareness about vocal health and well-being from members of the voice community. My guest this week is successful recording artist Errol Reed. Errol achieved worldwide chart hit success as the lead singer of the band China Black, signed to the Polydor label Wildcard. He's worked with some incredible artists during his professional singing career and has some amazing stories of meeting and even singing with some of his own idols. Tune in to learn about his journey from Birmingham to London, training first as a town planner for Brent Council to fund his musical endeavours before making it big, appearing on top of the pops with China Black's number two single, Searching. This led to success touring the world, amazing opportunities, duetting with Barry White in Paris, and more recently one of his own heroes, Howard Hewitt from Shalimar. Errol has a varied back catalogue and range of musical influences, and after China Black, he's also found massive success working with acts like Swedish House Mafia and Axwell, so you can also hear his incredible range on the dance music scene. I really enjoyed Errol's zest for music and how he uses his voice throughout the interview to recall songs and stories I'm sure you'll love hearing, littered with great advice for anyone who's thinking of going into the music business. Welcome to the Vocal Freedom Podcast, Errol Reed. Thank you, thank you so much for spending some time with me this evening. Absolute pleasure, absolute pleasure. It's good to be here. Long Fantastic. time no see. Long time no see, yes. We haven't seen each other in a, probably a good four or five years, I think. We met on a, on a voice course many years ago and yeah. uh, you're very kind enough to come in and talk about your journey because you've, you've had a remarkable you know, career in your early days, trying to black tour in the world, singing with really amazing people. And I just think what a journey to share with people who are listening who may be thinking about going into the industry. Obviously, yeah. we know... The industry isn't what it was right now in these COVID right times. Now, it's <laughs> someone someone's put on the brakes. Yes. Thrown an anchor out. Absolutely. It's it's not yeah, as it should put be. The rockets in reverse. Yeah, <laughs> I know, isn't it awful? Um, if you weren't wearing your seatbelt, you've just smashed into the windscreen. It's it's <laughs> quite it's quite tragic. It really is. I really do, you know, we, we keep our keep it in our prayers that the world will turn back to normal at some point. So yeah. About yourself then. So let's let's talk about you. How would you describe your journey with your voice? It's been a um, very interesting one because at the beginning, um, when I first started singing, I didn't fully understand my voice. And I was um, made aware very quickly when I went to a vocal coach that I was completely singing in the wrong area. Very nasally. I was all up here. Oh, the many... Okay. It was all up in my head, in my in the nasal cavity. Yes. And um, then I started seeing a vocal coach by the name of Glyn Jones mm-hmm. in um, Chiswick. And um, Glyn was very operatic in, in the way he taught his vocal lessons. So it was all very, oh, yeah. and, um, and that um, put it back and make it deep bark and um, from the diaphragm and uh, uh, Welsh, of course, Glyn yes, Jones. Yes, I, I thought that. So, um, <laughs> So um, he, he helped me to um, develop a level of discipline that I needed to have because I just rock up, not warm up, maybe have a quick drink of brandy or something like that, go on stage, <laughs> sing one song, sing Searching, for example, mm. and call that three minutes, 30 seconds. My voice was knackered. Wow. I was like, 
okay, I think I've got a problem here. Yeah. Because that's song one. If I'm in trouble from song one and I've got another 10, 15 songs to sing, I'm already on a downward slope after three and a half minutes. Yeah, absolutely. So, so I think I need to spend some money and um, work on um, learning and developing my craft. Mm. So um, that's what I've been doing for the last uh, professionally since 1994. So the last 26 years, yeah. I've just been constantly learning how my voice works and becoming much more confident and therefore comfortable mm. in my voice. I've learned it comes from confidence. Okay. And, yeah. And confidence comes from understanding the tool that you have. Yeah, that makes but, perfect sense. Yeah, once you understand it and you know what it, how it works and what it can and can't do, if you're presented with something and someone says, "Can you hit that note?" I'm like, "Yeah, go on, <laughs> not a problem." Ah! Hit the note. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do think you're right. I do think the, the people that are most sort of comfortable in their skin with their voice that trust it, that know yeah. know its boundaries, know what you can do and what you maybe what you can't and just sort of work within those parameters, then you're golden, aren't you? You're set for life. But it is an ongoing journey. So what, what was little Errol like? What were you like when you were a, a little boy? Were you singing when you were at school constantly, and stuff? Constantly. I was constantly singing to the point, to the point where when I left home and um, moved to London, got my little um, handkerchief and put the cheese and the bread, tied it in a knot, got my cat and said, right, we're going, off to that, we're going down to that there London from Birmingham. The big city. <laughs> Yeah, going to big city, lad. My um, Jamaican next door neighbour went, uh, um, where the singer there? The singer gone? Because it's very quiet. <laughs> in other words, where where's that guy that keeps singing yeah. at two o'clock in the morning wow. when I'm trying to sleep because he was a bus driver? Yeah. And I'd be I'd be in the kitchen at two, three o'clock in the morning when everyone had gone to bed and couldn't judge my voice. I'd be there singing Shalimar. There it is, what took us so long. Oh, love it. All that stuff in the kitchen. Yeah. And absolutely wrecking everyone's lives without realising it because <laughs> I was enjoying myself. Yeah, I was going to I wouldn't have been complaining. I'd probably been jamming in the next door room, you know. But So how did it, how did it come about? How did you and, and your friends get together to start your journey with China Black, for example? How did that come uh, about? Well, um, I came to London primarily because... Things weren't moving in Birmingham, yeah. Um, unless you were in the musical, unless you were in musical youth or Steel Pulse or UB40 or one of those the, the, the classic acts that came from Birmingham, yeah. Um, nothing else was really happening, and it was all in London. So I came to London to pursue my music career. At the same time, I thought while I'm here, I might as well find a way of financing myself while I'm in London because I've got rent to pay mm -hmm. and um, went and did a few interviews got a job with Brent Council cool. Brent said um, while you're here we'll send you to South Bank we'll pay for you to go to South Bank um, to get a degree in town planning um, they'll, they'll cover everything subsistence travel your books the whole lot all you need to do is put your bum on the seat and learn and I'm like what is that it yeah and I don't have to pay anything back. Well, if you leave us within four years, then you might have to pay us back. So obviously they want to get the best yeah. out of me. Yeah. So um, I thought, damn, yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, why not? I mean, it's a great opportunity. And you, you, it's it was a fantastic awesome. opportunity, and even to the point where um, um, I'll come back to how China Black got together, but even to the point where when China Black started having um, a massive hit and I was on top of the pops, but still going to work, 
they, they gave me a six month sabbatical oh, wow. to go off and see if I wanted to be a pop star yeah. or if I still wanted to be a town planner. That's amazing. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. I'll, I'll, I'll take my hat off to Brent and um, I think it was Pete Saunders, the head of plan, head of, head of the planning department, who um, bent over backwards to accommodate me. They must have been so excited for you as well. I mean, just in terms of they know someone that's on top of the pops. That's so exciting. Well, yeah, because they, they'd have people coming to the um, inquiry counter asking, oh, can we see Mr. Reed? And then I'd go, <laughs> go out to see what the inquiry was about. And it was like, can I have your autograph? And oh, I'm like, wow. oh, okay, this has got to stop. <laughs> Things like that. Yeah. It sounds like a real dream, doesn't it? I mean, just in terms of... Completely, because they were like, everyone was like, are you not going to leave work? I went, well... Until I know my bills are covered, because yeah. at the time I had a young, I had a son, I had a young boy and I was married and all the rest of it. I said, until my bills are covered, yeah. I'm not leaving. That's so, <laughs> so, so sensible, isn't it? I mean, that's just brilliant in terms of you could have jacked the job in and, you know, just not known where it was going to take you. So great. Exactly. Because right? it was it was a situation where um, we was we weren't given a massive advance. Mm. So the wild card record label that I had China Black. Ultimate Chaos, Boyzone, Samantha Mumba, Kelly LaRock. There was a whole load of us that were on this label. And um, they were just having a punt. They'd heard the the record had come out originally in the reggae charts. and It was number one in the reggae charts for three, four months. It was in the top 20 for about a year. So so that obviously that raised... um, awareness to the rest of the um record record fraternity out there like your warner brothers your sony's your emi's and your polydors Mm -hmm. and they were like going who's this act because they thought we were american ah because everyone because i don't know well because of that all the many that's in vibrato the warble yeah has michael jackson done reggae and i'm like i don't sound like michael jackson (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like I deliberately I'm into Prince yeah and I I love Howard Hewitt mm-hmm. and that's the stuff that I sing to Alexandra O'Neill yeah but I don't sing Michael Jackson because no. of that vibrato that warble yeah and I and I still got that in a lot of the press so they um they thought it was an American guy and then when they found it was somebody from Birmingham they're like going you're from where yeah where? <laughs> Gooby Gooby I'm all right it's yeah, not quite yeah, as glamorous as LA is it <laughs> no all right kid all right Ozzy Osbourne that's so cool so so you were going to tell me about how you and um simon the other half of china black got together we um when i came to london i i obviously wanted still wanted to pursue my music career um so i spoke to a friend of mine a girl called faye simpson who was the lead singer in a band called new colors amazing vocal band which was on the same label mm-hmm. she had a brother god rest his soul called ronnie jordan the famous jazz guitarist otherwise um, otherwise known as ronnie simpson but he changed his name to ronnie jordan and did a song called so what which i think went top 10 or possibly top five he did um, that jazz that jazz um, number yeah um he was working with a guy called long zd on a new artist who was just coming out album by the name of omar there's oh, yes. nothing like this i remember him i remember omar <laughs> 
there's nothing like this. Mm. So it was working on his so, track. I am loving and, this episode that you keep singing. Keep doing this. Sorry. <laughs> that was brilliant. <laughs> it's part, you know what? Singing is part of how I speak. Yes. I love that. <laughs> Break into it's song how, whenever you want. I, I break into song all the time. If I if I need to demonstrate something, I just sing it. Yeah. And people are going, keep singing. I'm not going, no, I just wanted to demonstrate the idea. <laughs> so um, I spoke to Ronnie and Ronnie said, look, we'll work with this guy, Omar. He does all his own backing vocals because I was obviously trying to hustle and go, I'll do his BVs. Yeah. Anyway, he does his own BVs. He's a multi-instrumentalist. Mm. Um <sighs> there's no space there's just enough space for us to get in there and do something but i know this guy that's looking for a female vocalist called simon so um let me give simon a call pop over there he's looking for a girl but your voice is quite high pop over there and see if it works <laughs> so went over to simon's house and he was like going okay let's hear what you can do i went sang sang whatever i was singing for him and he was like rah okay <laughs> you um okay You've, let me check your let me check your range <laughs> and i'm like your voice is quite try this song and obviously i came with my own sort of reggae soulful yeah um background because my brothers were into reggae my dad was into fats domino and yeah. um and um, nina simone and my mom was into motown brilliant so, influences all around you so I brought all of that to the project. And then as soon as I sang Searching, he was like, okay, we're going with that. Yes, amazing. He doesn't need no woman. He's got you. You've got, and you've got the pipes and the range. That's amazing. I had no idea that that was part of the background. So that could have been a hit with him and a woman had things not gone your way. Had things not gone my way. But also I, I came obviously coming from a Caribbean background. Um, the original version of Searching sounded like... Um, something that soul to soul would do oh, okay, like yeah. keep on moving or something like that so I was like okay I think we should do a reggae version of this because mm. um, I, I come from a, a long history of sound systems um, if you know the whole Caribbean sound system thing well I've been with... to the Caribbean a couple of times um, and I've okay. driven I've driven past some massive speakers speakers in seemingly in the middle of nowhere in Jamaica yeah. as well and I'm like that is that is that is initially my background wow. where I started gosh singing singing on a reggae sound system in Birmingham wow called Inity we called ourselves Inity Sovereign Gold lovely amazing <laughs> and, name and we we we'd um compete against people like Maxi Priest Smiley Culture okay. rest in peace Tip Irie um, there's a whole load of that we'd sing against and I'd be I'd rock up and you'd have a reggae beat and I'd go ain't no sound better than this your sound look like another song I go get buried tonight and give it that whole reggae lilt and yeah. all the rest of it and that's the stuff that we did Amazing. and um, when I came to London I wanted to pursue it but more from a soulful aspect because yeah. I loved I loved my um, Philly soul and who are your heroes in that sort of soul vibe? One of them is Howard Hewitt. I got to yep. meet him. Um, I was singing at a party last last summer, actually. I was at a party on stage. Um, I thought, what was I singing? I was singing. Um, uh, Let's get it on. Oh, wow. I was singing. I was singing. I was singing. Let's get it on because I was just remembering the part where I was singing. Let's get it on, and then this guy comes walking through the crowd, walks up to me, and he goes. 
I want to come on stage and sing with you. And I went, and I'm looking, thinking, uh, what the hell? And it's, it, oh, you'll see it on my Facebook. Oh, where he rocked, he rocked up and um, got him a mic. And I said, ladies and gentlemen, the one, the only Howard Hewitt. And um, he came on stage and started bouncing and duetting with me. Oh my God, that's like, so exciting. I was in awe. Yeah. He just, he was like, bro, we need to stay in touch. Here's my number. And I'm like, <gasps> you don't understand what's going on right now. That's, oh gosh, that's so, I mean, just the fact that you've had this, I mean, that relationship with that person you didn't know for all those years, that influence and that excitement to be then on yeah. a stage together, that I just, oh, that was just mind boggling, isn't it? And wow. prior to that, I'd been um, working, I, I did backing vocals with Cliff Richard. And wow, on that, that like? tour, oh, that was amazing. That's so it was cool. amazing because on that tour, you had um, you had Fifth Dimension. This is the dawning of the age of the... So you had Fifth Dimension. You had James Ingram. Yes, James Ingram. And James I got on so well with James. that he, he passed a couple of years ago from brain cancer, unfortunately. Oh. But I got on so well with James. He was hilarious. <laughs> Absolutely hilarious. But he was very good friends with Howard Hewitt. Oh, he was telling me all sorts of stories about how Howard was really upset when he got the, he got a phone call from a guy called Q um, that heard um, heard a song that he'd, um, I did my best, but I guess my best wasn't good enough. Uh, he'd done this song and he was a demo singer. Yeah. And this guy called Q just called him up at home saying, I've got this demo, You're, um, I've heard your voice on it. I don't think you're a demo singer. I think you should sing this. Mm. And that guy was Quincy Jones. <gasps> and Howard <sighs> was so upset. He was like, man, do you know how long I've been waiting for a call like that? And you just sing a demo. You don't even want to be a singer. You're a keyboard drummer. You don't even want to sing. <laughs> and I, thought, I thought, this is what he told me. I thought, this is brilliant. I'd, I'd love to um, ask Howard if that's what happened. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's secondhand, so you're never sure, are you? But that's exactly so, so so cool to have had that experience, though, and and so recently. So I but, watched the uh, no, I watched the, the footage of you singing with Barry White because that's what was Barry that, White like. He was amazing. He was brilliant. Yeah, that is that in itself. He's an he's the only person I actually froze around. Yeah. I, I don't normally freeze around people because yeah. People are it people. doesn't phase me. Yeah. People are people. Yeah. When I met him, I literally lost my ish. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, uh, partly because I thought it was a joke. Really? This is going back to this is going back to the days of Jeremy Beadle. Oh right, so, of course. So yeah, you think you've been pranked? Exactly. So I got I got a phone call saying, um, Errol, how do you fancy doing a duet with Barry White? Um, like, wow. Okay. I on his album. No, it's going to be in Paris live on a show called Taratata. And I'm like, in Paris? Why does Barry White want to sing with me? Okay. Mm, hang on a minute. Oh, it's going to be one of those jokes, isn't it? They're, going to, they're spending a lot of money to fly me to Paris. I'm going to go out on the stage. And then Jeremy Beadle's going to come out in a fat suit. <laughs> I'm like going... Wow, this is really elaborate. But just in case, let me try and learn the song. Yeah, just in case. But I won't focus too much. I'll just get it in my head. Because they said, do you know the song? Let the music play. I went, I know the melody. I'm like, let the music play. I just want to dance another way. That's it. Yeah. 
don't ask me about the verses. I know that bit. So um, obviously, I turn up at um, the, the studio in Paris. Um, I walk out and there's this orchestra and I'm like looking, wow, this is quite elaborate. It's the whole Love and Limited Orchestra. Hmm. This is really elaborate hoax. Mm. Uh, as I'm standing there, Barry walks out. And I'm thinking, ah, that's, that's not Barry. This is not a joke. Yeah. The band is now playing because the, the guy said, look, we'll start playing. Barry will walk out. If you could sing X amount of bars in, then um, Barry will take it over from there. So I'm looking at Barry and thinking, that's Barry White. That's really Barry White. I should have been singing at least two or three bars ago. So I now have to turn around to the whole orchestra and stop them. Oh my God, like can a, we start again? Like, yeah, I'm going, I'm really sorry. Stop the whole orchestra. And bearing in mind, the studio is freezing cold. Ooh. I'm in a freezing cold studio, but I'm sweating like mad. Yeah, that's <laughs> a lot of pressure on your shoulders in that moment, right? Trust me, I was, sweat was pouring off me. I was like yeah. going, uh... I think I've messed up here. Well, I guess, I mean, in a way, if you'd have been thinking it wasn't a hoax, maybe you'd have been more hyped up. Exactly. The beautiful thing is that um, the MD went, look, Barry, this guy, obviously, um, you're one of his idols. So maybe what we should do is um, you and him just spend an afternoon in the in your dressing room having lunch and have a chat so he gets relaxed in your company. And that is what we did. Oh, my God, that's a dream. That is so cool. So you just went a little bit of chill time. Wow. And you just got just to know hung, him. We just hung out, eating lunch, chatting. Um, prior to that, I'd, um, I did the Brit Awards at Alexandra Palace. Yeah. And we were up for best song of the year so against Take That and a load of other acts. Yeah. And um, I, I met Curtis Mayfield. Okay. No, no, not Curtis Mayfield. Oh. Isaac Hayes. Oh, Isaac Hayes as well. My goodness. Salty, sorry, salty chocolate balls. Yes. Yes. So Isaac, so Isaac Hayes and I were chatting. So um, I was like chatting away to Barry, and he just said, "Oh, my next door neighbour's Isaac Hayes." I went, "I met Isaac Hayes at the Brits." How funny <laughs> is that? It's just, oh my goodness! It really does make you realise a lot of times, doesn't it, how small the world is mm. when your path is interjected constantly with the same kind of people, the same people. It's a small industry. It's a yeah. small game. So it's, I always say, um, be careful of what you do because it won't stay hidden for long. And there's certain people that do certain, they, they do certain things out there, won't go into names. They do certain things out there and it does come into the light. Yeah. Especially when you're deliberately ripping people off or, or, or doing, you, you wake up in the morning thinking, who can I do over today? Oh, and I don't like that kind of side of life at all. I know, yeah. but it's out there. Mm. It's there. And once you're made aware, you're going, okay, I'm aware of you and I'm aware of what you're capable of. So I'll stay away from you. Yeah, those <laughs> are the people I stay away from if, if, if uh, still dodge. So mm. let me ask you this question then. So I still actually, I want to I go back. So this is how, I know how you and, um, and your partner met and you were not Sorry, a woman. <laughs> so I wanted to ask if, um, you know, along the way, once you got into, you know, you, I oh mean, goodness, what was Top of the Pops like? Tell me that one. That's just. Um, it was brilliant and disappointing at the same time. Did you, were you allowed to sing live or was this in the days where you couldn't? Oh, no, we, no, we, it was in the days when we could. Oh, that's good. Okay. But was the sound not so good? I or? think it was encouraged. Oh, no, okay. the sound cool. was brilliant. 
Oh, that's Absolutely great. Absolutely brilliant. Because you're it's the BBC uh in not Shepherd's Bush, it was the one uh where they film EastEnders. Oh, um that's in um Elstree. Elstree up yeah, that yeah. way. Mm-hmm. Up that way. And when I first went to Top of the Pops, obviously I'd seen it on TV. You think it's this massive studio with hundreds of people, a massive crowd and all the rest of it. So I'm like, going, yeah, I'm going to go and I'm going to floss in front of this massive crowd. <laughs> like, yeah. I turn up. It's about 20 people. Oh, no. Strategically positioned in front of the stage. Well, probably maybe more than 20 people. Yeah. They're all school kids. And I'm like, what? And then they've got this camera and a boom. And it's, it's, all, it's all about angles. Yeah. So I'm like, and then... Um, I think the first Top of the Pops that I did, there was three bands on that were debuting on that show. There was China Black, Oasis, wow. Let Loose, and the the American band that was on that day was a band called Green Day. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so you got to meet Green Day as well. That's so cool. Uh, but the, the, it was, it, like I said, the, the three bands debuting that day was Oasis with Liam and Noel, yeah. um, China Black and Let Loose. And, and that was my first Top of the Pops. Wow. It's brilliant. And yeah, I mean that's a great lineup. Did you get to mix with each other and oh, each other? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it got messy. Oh, got no. pretty messy in the dressing room area. Oh my god. <laughs> I'm going to any more stories. No, okay. That's that's for another episode, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> well, well, I, well I know is our Anglo plugging, who was our plugger at the time, was not happy. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Well, you're all young. You're all young guys at this point, aren't you? And, and just exactly, living the we're dream. pop stars. Yeah, living the dream. You've got, you've got, a, you've got, a, you've, you've got license to be a little bit naughty, I think. Yeah, can I have another can of beer, love? Yeah, <laughs> it's like you're going on in five minutes. I'll neck it. <laughs> so, is there anything that you that you know now? Not so much about voice, but just like, I guess about life and and your experience in the industry that you that you wish you could have told young Errol back then. You know, anything you know now you wish you'd known in those early days um what I know now if I could go if I had a time machine I could go back I'd say to a younger version of me is it's called a music business but put the most important word first the business of music Mm. because if you don't take care of your business trust me somebody else will yeah that's a very good bit of advice now I'm only I'm only nervous to ask if that's because you've ended up being ripped off, I hope not. I hope of course. Oh, you have. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. You get burnt. You get you. Of course, you get burnt along the way. Yeah. It's a tough industry, isn't it? And I guess obviously, once you know, record labels are involved. This. St- I mean, do you remember, remember when Prince did the whole "I'm not a, I'm not Prince anymore. I'm the, I'm the sign of that." Mm. Him fighting back about artists getting the income from their creativity um that that change it, it does still seem to be that the record labels make a lot more money than the people that are oh, doing all the big work. time you know it's big time it's way it's structured so yeah um, it's wonderful because i studied to be a town planner mm. i look at patterns and structures and stuff like that and um once i'd got into the 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 music industry I started trying to learn more about the business. Yes. So I was always playing catch up because you're, you're obviously competing. You're competing against people that are well ahead of you, lawyers, accountants, managers, yeah. um, people within the record label that know how to play the game. So it's one of them ones where I was like, right, you're competing against people that are already well ahead of you on the game. They know exactly how to manipulate mm. and get what they want out of you. 
And once I'd under- once I understood how the game was played, I was like going, right, I need to make sure I understand the contracts that I'm um, signing. Yeah. Make sure I have people that are um, supposed to be um, professional support actually on my side and not on the side of, say the manager or the label they're there to support me yeah um and it, it's something that you learn on the journey you learn it on the journey as you're going through you you, you it, but it's I hate when people say um it's a rite of passage because it shouldn't be no it shouldn't be it shouldn't be that way anyway really should it no so anyone that's coming up if I, I always say to them I said look put the most important word first the business of music know what you're getting into, understand the nature of the business. Because if you are successful, say it's you and your friend, your friend decides to manage you, and then you end up being as massive as, say, Adele or Ed Sheeran or Calvin Harris. Your friend is now dealing with hundreds of millions of pounds just flowing through accounts and all the rest of it. And they're like, they're going to be overwhelmed. Yeah. And their head may be turned. You need to, yeah, you, you, need, you need to be a business person if you're going into the business, right? Even Sting has been written. I always yeah. remember an article where it said Sting got stung. His, his accountant was ripping him off, but he was making so much money that he didn't even realise his accountant was taking millions off him. Oh, my God, that's awful. Yeah, you're right. You, do, you, do, you definitely need a network of people you can trust around you, for goodness oh, sake. Oh, big time. Yeah. So let me ask you about your light bulb moments. Your advice back to yourself, by the way, is brilliant. I thank you so much. That was really good advice. I think when I sat down and uh, and um, Martin Gruner Ravdens, um, my accountant, I remember him clearly, Stephen Daniels, explaining certain things that were going on with our account. And I went, bing. Mm. I need to know exactly what is going on with my business. Yeah. That was a light bulb moment. That was a light bulb moment. Got it. Um, I suppose another light bulb moment was actually when we did the Estill course and we were talking about um, how, say, um, Shirley Bassey would do it and her arms would go back and she'd mm-hmm. get more air out and her chest would go out. Whereas when I do it, I go down. Yeah. I'm collapsing in. I'm going down. I'm going, ah, and holding that note and going down. And it just looks more dramatic on the, on the stages that I am on. Mm. Whereas if I did if I did the um, Shirley Bassey way of doing it, it, it doesn't quite look right. Yeah, the... you're very different as artists, and hers exactly. Yeah. But we're doing the same thing. Yeah. But um, but I was doing it naturally. I wasn't taught that. It was exactly. just the body. The body knows what the body needs to do. Yeah. But you've learned your way through learning about how your voice works. Exactly. Yeah. And that's the most important thing. You know, you don't. I wouldn't say everybody that's ever successful as a singer has had to have training it helps it helps with discipline I think it brings Mm. it brings a certain level of I think singers need to understand that there needs to be a certain level of discipline in what you do oh yeah like so my I with the music that I've done right through from China Black and then ending up working with incredible dance producers like Axwell and the the guys from Swedish House Mafia and doing that sort of stuff so that put me into a completely different arena again so I was singing in in clubs all over the world and in that environment, because the first, for example, the first song that comes out is a song that I, I, I sing called Feel the Vibe. And it opens with a high note. But it's way higher, much more sharper, more power. Mm-hmm. And it opens like that. So I worked out very quickly. Before I step out on stage, warm up. Gotcha. No, you don't want to start up there and 
Not be ready here. Yeah. Mm. Warm up. And because I've been doing house music now for since 99, 2000, and we're now in 2020. So I've been doing house music for 20 years. Wow. Um, The catalogue is large. It's huge. So I can go and I can I can sing for for an hour uh, of just my own material in a in a club environment. And I've learned now warm up. Yeah, definitely, definitely, very important. It doesn't matter where. It doesn't matter if I'm in a corridor, if I'm surrounded by dancers, or if I'm in a manager's office. Warm up. Yeah, absolutely. Don't feel, don't feel, don't feel as though someone's watching and judging you because they'll be watching and judging you when you're on stage and you sound like crap. Yeah, exactly. They'll be the first ones <laughs> to be commenting, won't they? If you haven't got it. Yeah. With it, I mean, obviously, a good warm up, brilliant. As, uh, now, with your, you know, if you're out and you're, well, I know in COVID times we're not out, but. If, if times were normal and you were off doing a, a club tour, do you have a, a sort of routine of what you find most valuable in caring for your voice? Uh, I try not to drink alcohol a few days before. Sure. I do. I, I, I love a tipple. So mm-hmm. I, I do enjoy champagne. But um, what I'll try and do is not, not to drink alcohol either a day or two days before. Once I've finished, if the promoter or the agent then wants to get me a bottle of champagne, I'm drinking it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> when, the, when the work is done, but, glug, glug. <laughs> exactly. Unless I'm moving on to another venue the following day, then Good I'm point. like, oh, can I have water or lemonade, please? <laughs> you not? You you don't want to drink? I'm like, because obviously when you I, I do gigs in like like this year, excuse me, on the cards I had I was supposed to do Thailand. Doha, then I was supposed to perform in Moscow, St. Petersburg, Kazakhstan, all those obviously were gone. And then I was supposed supposed to do um, a festival near Hampton Court where I came on before the Jacksons. Then I was supposed to do um, Kato's Farm, another festival with um, a whole load of 90s artists singing my China Black stuff. And then I was supposed to do a festival in Liverpool just a couple of weeks ago where in one room I'd do China Black, the 90s stuff, and then I had to run across to the other room to do my L. Reed house music stuff. Wow. <laughs> so it was double bubble. And obviously that's all gone. So it's moved. I'm, I did a virtual festival for the guys in Liverpool a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. So, right. it's, so it's moved to the virtual side of things, but it's not the same. It's not the same. We do miss audiences. I mean, I've, I work with more, more people that are in theatre industry these days than are in the sort of music industry in the same way as you. But yeah. of course, all the theatres. I mean, I know there's a couple that are open with social distancing measures, but it's just not the same, is it? When you're saying things like, okay, guys, I know you're all looking at me there. I want you to get off your sofas. <laughs> We're going to blow the roof off this place. And I'm like, get up off your sofas. Yeah, and also at the <laughs> end, the thing I think that's most crushing, and I've, I've spoken to a few people on this podcast now that are used to big you know, stadium audiences or whatever, is when you go online and then the song ends, there's no applause. There's no woo. There's, do you know what I mean? And that that has an impact, I think, a little bit on the enjoyment as the experience as the artist as well, too, right? Exactly. It sort no, of ends and you're like, because you, oh. you feed off. Like, for example, yeah. I, I did a virtual festival where I did the first recording, recorded it, and then I hit obviously hit this high note. And the guy went, Oh, great. But um, we had a bit of distortion when you went for that note. Can we do it again? And I went, Bruv, <laughs> you know, if this was live, that's it. Yeah. I've hit the note, it's distorted, people have cheered, and I'm off. Mm. <laughs> Next act on. So he went, yeah, well, what, what I've done is I've checked the level, just do it one more time. I went, okay. <laughs> <laughs> 
Our sofa's oh, this is taking the fun out of it. Yeah, exactly. It hasn't got that same feel. I'm here, I'm ready, here go, let's go and meet my audience. The adrenaline, exactly, you've got the yeah. adrenaline and you, you run on stage and it's like, what happens, happens. Yeah. So let me ask you this then, Errol. What does your voice mean to you? Um, my voice is me and I am my voice. Okay, it's... I love that. If I couldn't sing because i'll tell you what i went through a phase have you ever been through this phase where you wake up in the morning and you think oh have i lost my voice overnight and you go, oh, oh, oh. oh it's still there it's still there yeah. right breakfast <laughs> well like do you know what i have i have lost my voice twice through laryngitis and even though i knew it was temporary and i'd had a I'd, you know i'd had a cold and it had progressed through it was just a viral infection i knew it was going to go away i had it earlier this year for four days i couldn't speak at all and yeah. even though i knew it was going to come back and I was going to recover. and I was going to get over this illness. It was horrible. I hated it. I couldn't, I had to communicate by clapping and writing things down because I went on to full vocal rest for three days. Wow. And um, it was, it was pretty quiet. Scary. scary. It's scary. Yeah. I, I remember when, um, when I was touring, we were supporting Dina Carroll. Oh, we were supporting no. Dina Carroll and um, I had these in-ears and the, the engineer hadn't cleaned my in-ears properly. And I ended up having an infection that went from, obviously it's ear, nose and throat. So that, 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 that channel that goes down into your vocal cords got inflamed and infected. And I remember going for a high note and I could feel my left vocal cord going, ah, but my, my right vocal cord was going, ah. oh, okay, yeah. I'm like going, whoa, 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 what's going on here? And obviously I was really ill. Yeah. Ended up yeah. in, ended up going to Harley Street because we still had um, a lot of the tour to do. And they pumped me up with these incredibly strong antibiotics, which I will never do again. Because yeah. I kept saying to them, I said, the reason why it hurts is because I'm not supposed to be doing it. If you pump me full of antibiotics and it, I don't feel the pain, that means I'm damaging in my voice. Yes. It does. Well done. That means, and yeah. I said, I need to, I need to feel the pain so I can either work around it or just don't do it. I'll find a way around it. But they were like, it's too important, obviously, because of insurance and all the rest of it. Yeah. If you drop out of the tour now, it's going to cost Polydor X amount, blah, blah, blah. I was like, oh, man. I got through it. But it was one of those moments where I thought, am I going to come out of this at the other end and can't hit my, which was my party piece, can't hit my high notes. Yeah. Um, gonna sound like a yeah. uh, pat pat <laughs> sound like a that guy that's from it, that's mike, reed. <laughs> <laughs> mike reed yeah, yeah. errol reed mike reed <laughs> <laughs> so obviously you have that fear and i think the back end of that i, I, I used to wake up in the mornings like i said to you before and just like a, ah, ee, mm, mm, check yeah, it's there, all working there. yeah but I mean, now I, I don't care yeah, <laughs> just, I'm, not, I'm just up uh, if it's working, cool. If it's not working, I know how to get it to work or I can work around it. Exactly. And that's, that shows how well you and your voice are in that relationship. You, you know when it's on form or not. You know, you know what your... I would kind of like it say it's like your battery life on your phone. You can yeah. sort of have a little test sometimes and think, mm, maybe I'm running at sort of 50% today, so I'll be careful. Exactly. Yeah, you, you... I do things like... Um when i'm having a shower I, I always do like the and uh, um yeah. 
because obviously the steam and everything so yeah. I just I do some light warm-ups in the shower me too absolutely <laughs> every morning the shower the, the steam is really great especially in the mornings if you know if you've been sleeping for eight hours it can all get dry you can all feel a bit claggy yeah and then the steam just sort of lubricates everything again. Everything, exactly. Everything wakes up again. Love, love the a shower is great for warming up the voice because of the steam. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in there for ages. So the, so the wife is like, oh, God, he's, <laughs> I need to get him before him. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So going back to other, I suppose, inspiration, what, what voices inspired you? Either, you know, a, a kid growing up, it was like, oh, I want a voice like that one day or this kind of career. Voices that inspire you and, and who could you never tire of listening to? Oh, wow. Um, growing up, I loved like B.B. Um, King, people like that. Then I got into um, that Philadelphia sound. Oh, yes. Um, so your um, Freddie Jackson's, your Evelyn Champagne King's and New York Skies and that classic sort of soulful club music. Yeah. That, um, that we still hear today. Yeah. Like even Champagne King, uh, love come down, Ooh, you make my love come down, yeah. and all that sort of was well into all of that stuff, which is now your modern day house music because you it listen is. to house music now, and it's just a natural transition from all of that stuff right through to when you when you listen to more your vocal sort of like clubby house that you'd hear in Ibiza mm. on, on by the beach which is very vocal driven and it's soulful that's the sort of stuff that I used to love listening to so vocalists from that from that era I was well into and that um, I think you can probably agree that that is in your sound isn't it you've you've oh big time yeah so big that time. influence has definitely paid off yeah big time and reggae I'm I used to love listening to people like Dennis Brown obviously Bob Marley yeah. Sugar Minot, I was well into those guys. Human Dell, Jackie Mito, I can go on for ages. Yeah, I was well into those guys. Um, coming right through, um, oh my God, Chris Rea. I just, great vocalists that, it doesn't matter what the genre is, as long as they've got what I call soul. Yeah. So it could be Queens of the Stone Age or anyone like that. If they've yeah. got soul in their voice and I'm feeling what they're singing, I'm in. Yeah, You've got me, me. Very much so. I'm sorry. I'm not going to sit here and go, like, I only listen to um, Deep House. No. <laughs> deep, I only listen to Deep Vocal House with a hint of techno. I'm like... <laughs> like Who does? Who does that? That's so, that's so limiting, isn't it? No. Exactly. No. That's yeah. not me at all. It's like, does it sound great? Am I touched? Yes. Is it moving me? Oh. I'm like, oof. I'm feeling that. I love listening to singers and then trying to work out how do they, how do, they do what they do? Mm. For example, I always I, I love when um, I first heard and I actually met him a couple of weeks ago. We were literally sitting, chatting, singing, sang at this party. And um, I told him the story. I said, I remember when I first heard your song with um, Sherelle called Saturday Love. And I said, as a little kid, I heard and I went, love Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Love Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Friday, Saturday. Love Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Love Sunday, Tuesday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday. And I was like, going, you lot must have some amazing lung capacity. <laughs> yes. And then I found out about editing. <laughs> Cut and paste. Because <laughs> until you get into that arena and you know what goes on in the studio, exactly. you, think, you think they just rock up and they just sing the line. When I think about you, my feelings can't explain. I'm like going, I told her, and Alex is just laughing. You just started laughing at me, Alexander, and you're like, good. 
man. I said, yeah, bro. That's because my brain was like, you are amazing. You've held that note. You're singing that line without breathing for five years. <laughs> and they go, yeah, it was just clever editing. <laughs> exactly. Back. Now I know. <laughs> I know. It's crazy. Because I, I mean, sometimes I have met people who've met people who you go, it was so disappointing because they were really, they had a problem with their ego or they were just too you know up I generally find I, I generally found um it was the ones that were trying to make it yeah the ones that had made it for example god I always remember again told another top of the pop so I got stories for days but another top of the pop story where um we were in our dressing room and across from the dressing room was Sting okay filling out and he was just um dealing with papers or contracts or something but he was reading and 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 signing or filling something out so um, the bass player had an acoustic bass. So we were sitting there and the, the bass player just went, boom, 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 boom. And this thing just put his pencil, <laughs> he put his pen down, just looked across, came over to our dressing room, sat down, just started chatting, took the bass, started playing the bass and just oh, chatting with us. And I'm like going, so cool. you are really cool, man. Yeah. <laughs> That could have gone one way or another, couldn't it? I'm really pleased. It, it, could have, it, could, it would have been. Fun. I'll tell you what would have been funny if he'd got up, walked towards his dressing room door, and then just shut it in our face. <laughs> yes. Leave me alone. I'm busy. <laughs> He's like, guys, I'm trying to concentrate. Bang. Yeah. I'm like, going, R-. then the story would have been different. I've been like, bro, that guy's got yeah. some issues, bruv. Yeah. <laughs> but do you remember back in like the 80s, there was this thing called Britannia Music Club, and they used to send you music in the post does that what I was no. about see i grew up in a little sleepy town in wiltshire and not a lot happened there so i can't remember it was always like in the back of smash hits or you know okay. the magazines and it was a little thing and you could, vaguely, you could buy, vaguely but they always had an offer where you could get like five albums for a pound or something and then once oh, wow. you joined and then every month they'd send you this thing in the post that said this is the album of the month if you don't want it you have to exit you know say no and send this back by this date otherwise it's going to be dispatched anyway you're going to have to pay anyway right yeah so anyway i was notoriously rubbish at remembering to send to send the thing back saying i don't want that and one of the albums i ended up with that i didn't particularly ask for was this sting album and it was when he bought out um a solo album many years after the police and it was he did this uh i can't remember the name of the album it's the one that had feels of gold on it the original feels oh wicked Yeah. yeah and just because it was there and because I had to have it taken out of my pocket money to pay for it anyway, I thought, well, I'm going to listen to it. And I loved it. I loved, even though I think I was about 13 or 14 or something, and it wasn't my sort of style of the time. Yeah. That his lyrics were meaningful. His songs told stories. And there were a whole bunch of instruments in there I'd never heard of. So it exposed me to something new. And I actually ended up really loving him after that. Did you have the Englishman in New York on that album or? It was after that. So it gotcha. would have been, um, you know, I think, I mean, I'm talking about 80. Yeah, I was 13 in 87. So it was around that time, around 87, 88. Young. 45 now. I'm hardly young. <laughs> I was in London working. <laughs> in, yeah, in London, I, was South Bank. <laughs> I was at South Bank studying and working. <laughs> yeah, my husband's four years older than me. So he was a little bit behind you, but not much, I'm sure. You, you look ever young, ever young. Wish I don't feel it. <laughs> so yeah, so those, those voices that you'd never tire of listening to. Have you got an album collection somewhere of your faves 
Mm, I'm I'm quite open nowadays. Yeah. I, I, I I'll go through a phase where I'll get stuck on an album. Mm-hmm. Like um, I was really into um, Justin Timberlake's um, Doom Boom 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 Boom. Don't be so quick to oh, yeah. walk away. I that album. That. Yeah, that was fabulous. Couldn't stop. Out. Couldn't stop. I couldn't couldn't stop listening to that album. So I was really into Justin Timberlake. Yeah. Um. Some of the weekend stuff I'll listen to, but yeah. lyrically it can be a bit challenging. Mm-hmm. Some of the stuff he says and all the rest of it, but um, I, I, but the production all the rest of it I quite like. But it's yeah. just lyrically what it's like. Um, there's a track that I think I don't know if it's still number one. It's called WAP. I won't go into what that means, but okay. it's absolutely disgusting. Uh, I don't know that. I don't really listen to the to the charts really. You so. you, uh, you don't want to if if you if you keep this in and your listeners hear it, they'll be like going, "Yeah, we know what that is. It is it's the the rap the the female rapper in it. She's great. She's got a track that I've heard, and I'm like going, "This is a great track. Why did she do that? Uh, it's so derogatory and all the rest of it, but." things like that will put me off an artist my last question before we, we finish is what is vocal freedom to you vocal i think i've demonstrated it throughout this you have. i think vocal freedom has been having the confidence to just demonstrate and sing what i want when i want how i want yeah and um and not be worried about being judged yeah because i used to be worried about being judged and now i just don't care yeah, and I think that comes with age and experience. Once you get to a certain point in life where you're like, you know, I am who I am. You, have, you either like me or you hate me. My intention is not to go out there and cause harm or disturb anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, if I do, I apologize. But at the same time, I'm just doing me. Yeah, <laughs> It's who I am. It's, that's my character. It's always been me. Um, sometimes people try and, and um, they try and get you to sort of quash your character and hide it under a bushel. Um, but as I've got older, I've realised I'm like everybody else. I have a light and I just let it shine. Oh, I love that. <laughs> if it's too bright, cover your eyes, yeah, people. Because exactly. <laughs> I'm coming. Yeah, go on. We, we didn't even touch the 12 years I spent with Robin Gibb from the Bee Gees. <laughs> have you? Did you really? I've been to- I toured with Robin for 12 years. For 12 doing all years. The- doing all I'm staying Well, you can tell by the way I use my work and my woman's back. Yeah, <laughs> that's a big job, right? That was a massive job. Got me around the world several times. And unfortunately, he passed away from cancer. Yeah. Um, I think it was back in 2012, 2013. Mm. But up until that point, we were tight. We'd hang out, go everywhere. I'd go, go to his house in Oxford Tame, hang out with him, Duina and RJ and the guys. And oh, wow. it was brilliant. That's such, a, that's such a cool thing. No, but it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you again for your time tonight. And uh, oh, I'll, I'll be in touch. All right, my Definitely. love. Thank you for joining me on the Vocal Freedom Podcast. I hope you've enjoyed the episode and we'll move into your day with a bit more vocal freedom, feeling that you can express using your voice and let the world hear what you have to say. Visit colchestervoiceacademy.com forward slash podcast. Sign up to be kept informed as new episodes are published and consider joining our online community. Membership to this will allow you to post questions to our guests, link you to show notes, social media links, and entitle you to exclusive offers from our guests. See you next time.